This morning, we're diving in to finding hope. I'm going to read the verses. Let's just start there. Is that okay? It's a pretty good place to start, God's Word. Is that okay? If you ever have a question like, where should we start? That's probably an okay okay place to start with an introduction and to, uh, to kick off a, a sermon. Let's just read these verses. Um, and please be in mind to know where we were in chapter 4, right? We never want to take these out of context. We want to know what Paul has done. You've, many of you have been here with us since the first sermon on the, the, the first chapter of Romans. You've seen Paul make this case about the sinfulness of mankind and the hopeless situation that we were in. And yet, now he's making the case that our, our justification, when we get saved, it's by faith alone. He's given the example in chapter 4 of Abraham. He used their own patriarch, their greatest example. Uh, he used Abraham to them to say, hey, it wasn't all the things that God, that Abraham did that made him great. Go back and see before he did all those good things. It said Abraham believed, and God counted it to him as righteousness. He believed. That's all it takes. Not believed and do good. Believe, and immediately we are saved. Have faith in Jesus Christ, and immediately we're saved. And so he's teaching them about Abraham. The last verse of chapter uh, 4, let me read those just to give you a little more context. I'm going to start in verse uh, 23. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us. <laughs> to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. That's the end of chapter 4. Now let's read chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Do you see all these Advent words in here? Peace, rejoice, or joy, hope. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. One of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, right there. If you all notice, every week I'm preaching, my favorite passage of the Bible is whatever I'm preaching on. It always changes. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. There's a lot wrapped up in those few verses, okay? Uh, and and what, what Paul is really talking about, we're going we're gonna, to, one, we're going to take a short window here at the beginning and understand what Paul is saying here. We're going to learn what, what this is. And then we're going to take this finding hope and we're going to apply it to our life. Um, and so the, the first thing I want you to see is this, this passage is really, uh, this is Paul laying out the benefits of justification, or the benefits of salvation, of being saved. What do you What do you get for it? And uh, any good salesman, if you've ever been in sales, insurance, cars, whatever it might be, uh, you, you've probably heard the saying: you, you want to talk about the benefits, not the features, right? Uh, you know, a, a benefit would be that uh, you know this car this car has side impact airbags, right? 
That would be a feature. A benefit would be your family is safe. Right? That's a, that's a different way of saying it. See, I bought a 10-year-old truck that has great features like scratches and dents. The benefit is I didn't care when I hit the yellow post in the drive-thru at Slim Chickens. All right, so Paul understands that he's, gonna, he's telling these people, you've been saved and you get something. Something comes with it. These amazing benefits of your salvation. And he starts in the first verse with this one. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This peace, uh, this is the first benefit. Uh, let me just read them to you real quick. There's really probably five here. I'm not going to go into all of them, but if you're a note taker, you can write them down real quick. Uh, these are in these verses. One, you have, we have peace with God. You have access to God. You have hope in God. You have love from God. And it really throws the fifth one in. You've got this, God's spirit has been given to you, inside of you. These are five benefits that he lays out here of, of what happens when we get saved. Um, notice here he says, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is like when you get in trouble, when you got in trouble when you were a kid. And you knew your parents were serious, and mine, it, they, they were real serious because I've got four names. Jared, Brandon, Leonard, Arnett. I mean, when they went all four, it was like, I should probably go in there, but I really want to run. All right? And so Paul here is making a statement. He is calling, he is saying, in through our Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, he is king of all, he is sovereign, he is the great one, Jesus, he is our savior, Christ, he is the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that had been prophesied, that, that these, the, the Jews, the Hebrews had learned and knew all the scripture and the prophecy of the Old Testament telling them a Messiah was going to come, and Paul's saying, this is the guy, this is the guy. But he says we have peace with God, and I want you to understand, this is not a, a feeling, it's not, um, it is not what you would say, the peace of God. This is peace with God. Because what did we learn in the first few chapters of Romans? That, that God, his wrath was being poured out presently on sinful men. That tells us before we are saved, we were at war. We were at war with God, and he was at war with us. But here he says, all of a sudden, the war is over. How powerful is that? That to know that in the moment we believe, we have peace with God. The guilt, the, the, the condemnation, the rebellion we feel in our heart, that, that immediately all that is wiped clean, and now he says, we are like one of his children. We become part of his family. We are no longer at war with God, but we are at peace with God. It's not a feeling. It's a fact. It is when we become saved, one of the benefits is that we are at peace with God. 
The second thing we see is access to God. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice and hope in the glory of God. This does not blow our mind as much as it did the Jewish people of that time. Because they'd grown up in a religion and a culture for hundreds of years that only one person had access to God. It was the high priest. And the high priest would go into the, the holiest of holies, this room in the temple, uh, once a year and make a sacrifice and be in the presence of God. He did it for all the other people. See, prior to Jesus and our salvation, everybody stood outside waiting. <laughs> and he says, no, no longer anymore does, does a priest or does someone else have to go on your behalf to God. When you are saved, when you put your faith in him, you have direct access to the God, to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords. He listens to you as much as he listens to the priest. And this changed everything for them. This blew their mind. You mean I don't have to wait outside once a year and hope God forgives me? Based on what somebody, no, not anymore. You can talk to him yourself. If you remember this, the symbolism that was there uh, when Christ was crucified uh, and in his resurrection, it says the veil was torn. That veil that separated the holiest of holies, it was symbolic, saying no longer you have to go through someone else. You go through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. You have access to stand in this grace. And then we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now I want to spend just a minute on hope. This is where we're going to spend most of our time uh, this morning. Hope. Um, let me read you a little bit. I've got this book I dug out called The Case for Hope by Lee Strobel. If you've if you've ever seen the movie The Case for Christ, he's got lots of good books. Um, but this is, from, this is how he phrases hope uh, from the first chapter of his book. He says, It's the sense of expectancy and optimism that God wants to instill in all of us who love him and have faith in him. It's an overriding confidence he gives, reminding us that even in the midst of our greatest problems, God is still with us, and he is greater than any challenge we might face. Hope is the inextinguishable flicker God ignites in our souls to keep us believing in the prevailing power of his light, even when we are surrounded by utter darkness. It's the unswerving belief that better days are ahead, probably in this world and most certainly in the next it's the quiet resolve he hardwires into our spirit that clings to the seemingly impossible truth that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and that in the grand scheme of things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This hope is anchored on the power of Christ. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And then he moves in, Paul moves into this process. This process of hope, the cycle of hope, if you will. And we find out that hope is not, uh, you know, we, we use that word pretty loosely in our own, you know, language and conversation. You know, you know I, I hope I get a good grade on this. I hope, you know, uh, I hope the Wildcats go down to Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama. And, you know, that one, 
didn't work out so well. That's called wishful thinking, okay? This is different than the hope we have in Christ, than the hope that's talked about in the Bible. Uh, Rosy, this week, just a few days ago, she came to me. I uh, came to Beth first and then me, and uh, she said, I'm so excited. She's wanted a pony her whole life, okay? She's always wanted a pony. Y'all know, you've heard me talk about it before. She's turning 11 tomorrow. We got a little uh, birthday celebration this afternoon. Uh, you, you, there's not a pony. Let's not get any, set any unrealistic expectations here. Uh, but she came to us this week, and she said, uh, listen, my, my friend, uh, is a friend from our neighborhood, uh, he said, listen to this, listen to this, she said. He said that his family said if they, if they win the lottery, they are 100% guaranteed going to buy a farm and that they will watch my pony for me. If the 100% thing was contingent upon if they win the lottery. I want you to see how sometimes in life we hope for things. That it's just wishful thinking. And Paul is telling them here there is something bigger that we can hope for. And that, that hope is, is not, just a, uh, not just a thing that we, not a thing that we do, but it's something we have. Okay, it's not just something we do, it is something we have. So we can get confused. It can be wishful thinking. We can get hope. We can have wishful thinking. That's like what I said. Um, it, it could also, uh, uh, um, um, let me see. It could be blind optimism. You've met those people, right? That I mean, uh, there's a story about this. These parents, they had two sons, and one was like this eternal optimist. One was the eternal pessimist. And they said, we're going to show them. We're going to turn that thing, things around for them. And so on, on, uh, on Christmas, they, they loaded one of the rooms up with toys, and they loaded the other room up with horse manure, and the kids got up, and the one that was a pessimist that had all the toys, he came downstairs, and he was just all sad. And they were like, what's wrong? And he said, well, I got all those toys, but I'm afraid to open them. I might break one. You know, I'm just not going to do it. It's just it's too, much, too much risk. And, uh, and they are like, I can't believe this. And the other, the, the optimist came downstairs and just nasty and was so excited. And they were like, what, why are you so excited? He said, I know if I keep digging, I'm going to find that pony. And so you've met these people that have blind optimism, right? That they just completely ignore the fact that sometimes things are bad. And sometimes they are difficult. And sometimes they are hard. And we cannot just completely uh, ignore it. Uh, we can also uh, have hopeful dreams. So we may have like long-term things we want to do. We want to be a doctor. And so we begin to go to school and study hard and do the things we want to be. These are all things we can do. Paul is saying hope is something we can have. And so, he, and he tells us how we get it. And he gives us this process here. And it's not a process that I would have chosen, that I would say, that's a good idea, let's do it like that. But this is how God 
works. Let me paraphrase these verses 3 through 5 for you. The end of 2 here says we're going to rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This is like that, that forward looking, the, the one day we're going to be healed. One day God's going to take care of all this. We've read the entire Bible. We know how it ends. But in verse 3, it says not only that, joy is not only going to come in your hopeful outlook into the long-term future of eternity. This is not only that, right now in this moment, you can find joy. Let me paraphrase this from Phillips. It says, this doesn't mean, of course, that we have only a hope of future joys. We can be full of joy here and now, even in our trials and troubles. Taken in the right spirit... These very things will give us patient endurance. This, in turn, will develop a mature character. And a character of this sort produces a steady hope. A hope that will never disappoint us. Already we have some experience of the love of God flooding through our hearts by the Holy Spirit given to us. Here we find that a steady hope, the kind of hope that will not disappoint, only comes through tribulations. Our natural instinct is not to look at the difficult things in our life, the things that we wish were different, the the difficulties that we face, face the health issues, the family issues, the financial issues, the personal struggles, the marriage issues, the children issues, the, the personal anxiety, depression, the battles that we fight, to not look at those. Our instinct is to not look at those as a gift. <laughs> but here Paul says, if we are going to have the kind of hope That matures us and allows us to lead others and be a light to others that it takes tribulation, that it takes suffering. And Paul's not the only one that said this. I want to read these other verses, and then we're going to come back and kind of walk through this process uh, as we get ready to wrap up. If you have a Bible or your app with you, uh, turn with me to James uh, chapter 1, and then we're going to go to the very next book after that, 1 Peter chapter 1. And this is what James wrote. This is the little brother of Jesus. This is what he said in James chapter 1 and verse 2. Uh, so, so you're saying, preacher, Jared, you're, you're saying I should count it joy when things are terrible. I'm not saying that. James chapter 1 verse 2. Count it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You think the genuineness of your faith is important? It's the most important thing in our life, right? The only way we can know it is genuine is if it is tested. Is if it is tried. It's the only way we can know our genuine faith. Because here's what God does. He, he does not test us to see our, our loyalty and our commitment and, and to see if we are going to stick with it. He tests us to teach us that he is going to stick with us. 
so that we can learn, so we face the next thing that comes our way. That I remember that time that you stuck with me. You're going to stick with me again. And all of a sudden, you're starting to mature a little bit in your faith. And it takes mature Christians to lead. Not just churches, but families, communities, small, small Bible study groups, friends. It takes mature Christians to lead. And you can only mature through tests and trials. You know, this is kind of like having, a, uh, having yeah, uh, multiple kids. You know, our first one, man, we were so, she's getting ready to turn 11. I said that we were like on it on everything, right? You're reading everything, doing it by the book and, you know, you know, a passy hits the floor. It's like three washes in Clorox, and uh, you know, and and you're doing everything. And then you have another one nine years later, and it's like, I don't know if we've ever washed his passy. <laughs> right? He's gonna make it. He's gonna be all right. Things that only come by experience. Beth was driving, uh, we found out recently, in the last couple of weeks, he gets car sick. We turned his seat around. We've been waiting for him to turn two, because you can turn that seat around, right? And you can finally look at him and see his face. So we turned it around, they drove through Hurricane Creek. If you're all streaming, I don't know, if you're not from around here, there is a Hurricane Creek. Yes, it's spelled hurricane. We don't know. So we drove through there. And uh, he came out the other end and just had this look on his face and right in his car seat. If you've got kids, that's the worst thing, right, when they throw up in the, their car seat. Like, I mean, it's so bad. And so we had, uh, we, we, uh, like a week later, we finally, I mean, we scrubbed that thing. You take it in. It's like you've got to watch YouTube videos to take it apart and and then and, and try to put it back together and get it all washed, and it was perfect. And I put him in there. We were coming up to town, and uh, I said, if you throw up in this car seat, you're going to be walking home. And we got up to town. Uh, we I had to run in Food City, I think, and uh, Beth kept him in the car. And I came out, and Raza called me and said, you got to get out here, you got to get out here. And I came out, I said, what happened? They were parked at the end of the parking lot. And I get, and I just see paper towels going everywhere. And, and uh, Beth said, I don't know, I was just driving in S's and figure eights, and he was watching Blippi on the phone. And, and he had, this very first time we put him back in his car seat. And so what do you do? Because you've had an 11-year-old daughter that 10 years ago, you were on a vacation on a curvy road, and she said, I think I'm going to pluke. And we said, no, you're not. And then she puked everywhere on the way to vacation in the car seat. This is so much easier, like 10 minutes from home. Just put him back in. Let's go home. God does this in your life. Not only for you, but for the friend, the person that you're going to bump into and say, I have a son who is addicted. My marriage is falling apart. And you can say, I've been there. Let me tell you how God worked it for me. And you'll face the next thing in your life, and we find that he grows this. And we see it in James, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt 
because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So we find James says, count it pure joy. Count it great joy when things are difficult because it means your faith is growing. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1 and uh, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith, uh, who, who through faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer. Uh, and the New King James Version says, If need be, you've suffered grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through, ref though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. He tells us that our faith is more precious than gold. And if our faith is going to be refined, it has to be under pressure. And we find that in Romans 5, 3, and 4. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that this pressure produces perseverance. Endurance, a steadfastness, a fortitude, a constancy. This is grit. This creates grit in your life so that when one thing gets rocky, you don't, it doesn't all just fall apart because you've been through it before. But it only grows through pressure. See, it presses out impurities in our life. All of a sudden, some things that you found thought were so important you realize now are a bit superficial. And it makes you think about maybe some of the pride that you had in your life when you thought you could do it by yourself. Maybe you thought that materialism and homes and cars and money and wealth were the way, but all of a sudden you've gone through a test and it's pressed all that out. It's like, don't care about it anymore. God has pressed that out of me. Maybe it's selfishness that all of a sudden a test reminds you that other people matter. But it's in those tests that builds character, mature character, proven character. People with experience. Somebody told me once the, this little saying that said, it takes a war to make a general. If you are going to war, you don't necessarily want somebody leading you who has never been to war. It takes that type of character and experience to have the ability to influence. And Are we supposed to be influencers, every Christian? Seems like Jesus said we are the light of the world <laughs> to be light in darkness every single one not just a pastor every single 
Christian is called to be a leader and an influencer to impact those around them. It says that that character leads to hope. That's how you find it. You, you go through the struggles of this life. You make mistakes. You mess up. You ask forgiveness. You say, I've been there and I found God to be faithful. He stuck through me. He stuck through it. He was with me uh, to the end. And all of a sudden, I mean, you just got this, this, this level of faith and confidence. And it's all of a sudden not just wishful thinking. Man, I hope God takes me to heaven. It's all like, man, I've seen him deliver time and time again. It's, it's gone from just wishful thinking to absolute confidence. And, and it's, not, it's, a, it's the biblical hope and not just the worldly hope. New King James says this hope, this hope, this real hope doesn't leave you yelling at the screen at the end of the Alabama game or ne never wanting to watch again. This is the real hope. And it comes from the love of God that's been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It will never, never disappoint it's an assurance and we find this hope in this season uh, what we feel is a bit hopeless probably in our current situation of wondering when I can when can I see friends again when can my business be back to operating again when can I go to work again? When, when, when can we have church like we used to have it? When, when can I be at a restaurant and see somebody I know and them not have a mask on and me feel like it's weird? Like uh, I want to meet new people, but they've got masks on. It just feels like not the same to introduce myself to them. When can I shake somebody's hand again? When can I hug somebody again and not feel like I've committed the unpardonable sin? I mean, all these... Morality, these questions of morality will play with our minds and it will make us feel hopeless. But it's a test. And God is with us. And 2,000 years ago, we, they were in a world where they wondered if they would ever have peace with God. They, they wondered if all their sins would ever be forgiven. They wondered if they could ever be good enough. They wondered, was God real? He said a Messiah was coming. It's been 400 years since he spoke to us. And that star started shining in the sky. And all of a sudden, God's plan began, began to fall right into place. If you go to Romans, let me get back here. Romans chapter 6. No, I think it's right after this. Yes, it's, it's verse 6, chapter 5, verse 6, where we left. Let me tell you. Verse 6. You see at just the right time <laughs> at just 
the right time. God, uh, y'all know that old song, three days late, but right on time, whatever that, you know, you know that song, that gospel song. At just the right time, God breathed life. He came and walked in this world. And the same is true in our life when we have confidence, when we find this type of, when we've given our faith and we have, we've been justified and we are saved, all of a sudden we have hope that can't be taken away from us by our circumstances. And we're going to go back into the story, the Christmas story over the next few weeks. And we're going to see, we're going to see this, this truth played out. And we're going to apply it to our lives based on what happened right there in Bethlehem. I'm going to make this ask as we get ready to wrap up this morning. Uh, last year we did a program, uh, and we've had it going all year long, but I just talk about it every now and then. It's called Do For One. Uh, Y'all know you've heard me mention it. Uh, it, it comes from when when Jesus, uh, after the uh, um, after the the Good Samaritan, right? Some the the guys in the ditch, and the Good Samaritan is the only one that helps them. And they said that's a good neighbor. Um, and and Jesus asked, you know, who who of these three was the good neighbor? And they said, well, it was the one who had mercy on the person in the ditch. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. We cannot help everyone. You cannot help everyone. And so how this works is last year, uh, we've got a form on our website. We're going to talk. I'm going to show you the link in just a second. Uh, last year, we helped over 50 people. And so what, what we're going to ask you to do here online uh, is I want you to think of a person. And I'll give some examples. Last year, um, um, someone... I changed all these names. Let's see. Anna saw that Misty uh, had never uh, been to her children's plays. She was in theater, but she couldn't afford the tickets. She never went and watched them. And so somebody in our church knew this mom and said, hey, this, we should buy tickets for this mom so she could go watch her. So we bought three tickets for, you know, three people to go watch their kids play. Um, we, uh, somebody knew a mom that couldn't afford to get Christmas presents for her kids. We worked with them, got the list, and, and helped buy gifts for their kids. Um, somebody appreciated somebody that worked at a local business that was always kind and helpful, uh, but they found out they were going through a difficult time personally, and she had seen somewhere on their Facebook page, like, joking, like, I could... A spa day would be nice. I got the kids. I'm a single mom. I'm, like, going crazy. And so, you know, we were able to get her a gift certificate for a spa. And so the way we do this is we deliver this. And if you want to be on, if you want to say, if, if you want us to say, uh, you know, Sally was thinking of you and asked us to give this to you. Let me tell you, that moment of that giving is, it is life-changing. Because let me tell you, another place this world should be finding hope is in you and me, is in the church, is in the ones. That, God said we will be known by the way we love one another. And so uh, these are just some examples from last year. I think we bought a washing machine. Uh, and, and so we had some people that made financial donations to help us do this, our church like I said, we put 10% in. I think we ended up giving back almost $10,000 last year. We helped over 50 people. 
I want us to do 60 this year. I don't think that's unrealistic. I mean, we've grown. Obviously, not everybody's here. Uh, but I think our congregation has grown in number, and I know the need has grown in number. Um, and so between now and the end of the year, we're going to help people find hope. We're going to let them know we care about them. We're going to show them we care in little ways. It doesn't matter when you let people know you care and you appreciate and you're thinking about them. It will change their world, I promise. And when they say, why do you care? And we say, God put it in our heart to do. Jesus Christ gave me not a hope that I feel, not a peace that I feel, but something I have, and I want you to have it too. So, uh, be thinking how we can do this. Just go to our website. There's the, the link is up at the top right. You probably can't see it. You might be able to see it. It says do for one up there at the top right. Just click that link. It's a short form. We ask you your name and the person's name, what we can do for them and the budget. Um, and, uh, and then we'll give us about a week and we'll got a team working on it to figure out how can we deliver this, what can we do, get creative, think about it. Um, somebody donated some stuff to Faith Life Market this week and said, I don't know what to do with this. I feel like y'all could use it to help somebody. We ended up putting two gift baskets together out of the stuff and just took it to two people we knew, left it on their doors. They found hope, okay? We can lead people to real hope. They're in wishful thinking. That We've built our hope up on uh, governments and structures and political parties and all this other stuff that always disappoint. Let's bring people over the next four weeks as we lead into Christmas back to the unchanging hope that never disappoints. Think we can do 60? I think we can do 60, can't we? Um, so, and, and you're not limited to only one. I mean, if we get so many that we can't we can't fulfill it. I don't believe, I mean, God's not going to lay things on your heart to do that he's not going to pay for. That's just the way I believe it. Um, and, and so I believe God will take care of all this, and we're going to help 60 people, 60 families. Um, and and it, like I said, it doesn't have to just be help. It could be somebody that doesn't need the help, but just could use the uplifting and the encouragement um, to keep pressing on to know that we love them and care about them. So let's, let's shoot for 60. We might hit 100. Who knows? You guys are untelling. I just got a lot of confidence in you. Um, so we're kicking that off this week. If you are listening, if you are here, and you have not put your faith and your trust and given it all and surrendered yourself, Christ see when he said we have peace with God he was talking about the church those believers so there's two groups of people that are watching and listening there are those of you with faith that have peace with God and there's somebody listening right now who you've run from God you've rebelled against God you are at war with God you're under the wrath of sin that says the wages of sin are death. And Jesus, the gospel says, through faith alone, I'll trade you. 
I'll trade you. That's what Jesus says. I'll trade you my righteousness for your sinfulness. He's already paid the price. The wages of sin or death when we get saved, we accept, God accepts his death as that payment. We have died and we are raised in newness of life. God is offering you that this morning to find peace with him. We're going to play one more song as we stand and get ready to close uh, this morning. Another new song, it's a, it's a video. Uh, the name of it is Fires. And uh, it speaks to the heart of this message this morning. So let's just worship God this morning. If God's dealing with your heart, pray. Just take it to him. You don't, it's not a long prayer. It's not complicated. It happens in your heart. He gives you this gift of faith. It's like, wow, well, I didn't trust him before. This message, but all of a sudden you've heard the word of God and faith comes by hearing. All of a sudden you're like, I'm, I think I believe this. I want to put my trust in him. It's all it takes to turn from your sins and your selfishness and your, your own pride and say, I, I, God, I want you. I want to find this hope, this supernatural hope that doesn't depend on circumstances, that finds joy in difficulties. You can pray if you're here. You can pray at home. Uh, but we love you, and we're praying for you. We're praying with you uh, as we all go into this Christmas season.